something a bloodbath. Have we got your attention? of Hitchcock and the other masters. Greetings, grave diggers. Welcome to the podcast by the cemetery. It's been a while since we've done an episode. It's always a while between when we do episodes these days. This uh, episode <laughs> is going to be focusing on the significance of black people in horror history and their contributions to horror. Normally, our intros are more silly and lighthearted, but you know we're not looking to poke fun at anything with this episode, so we're just going to get right into it. Scott, what have you been up to? Oh, boy. I don't think I want to go down that road completely, (laughs) but I'm pretty much the reason why we have been on hiatus for quite some time. I mean, we can't fully blame you, but yes, it's mostly you. It's all your fault. Yeah, it's you, 100%. All of our lives have kind of been... (laughs) Yeah. You know. Yep, that's life. We're we're all... and experiencing turbulence at the moment. Yep. Yeah, but hopefully now it's the new year, 2019. We can get back on track and yeah, start I mean, doing this on a regular schedule. Both of us, you know, we're we're right. both doing just fine. But uh, yeah, anything you've been up to, Tim? Nothing extremely awesome. Uh, yeah, no, not really. I went to Astronomicon <laughs> last weekend. Oh, yes, yeah. that was kind of oh. cool. You uh, and I both went. You guys did do fun stuff. I didn't know that. Twisted put that thing on. I guess that's like their deal. Yeah, I guess they're, yeah, like one of them is the one that created this convention. It's only their second year, but it's already pretty freaking yeah, big. They must have some good connections because they already had some cool guests and the setup is cool. It's, it's not like, you know, the Flint Horror Convention where it took two or three years for them to even get it to be a comfortable and, you know, friend, like, friendly to visit environment not right just you know the mayhem of all of it the there's so much going on and they they seem to have it kind of just like down right right out of the get-go yeah like the only thing i would say was a bit weird was you know the whole uh it, uh just ton of juggalos at the convention but oh, yeah that was twisted was there so. i've never been surrounded by that many juggalos i don't think were they selling fago and that fun stuff didn't no. see any of that. Just but. hatchet men on everybody, like girls with like hatchet men tattoos on their necks and stuff. Lots of yeah, lots of people with the hatchet men stuff and uh, a lot of face paint. The the oh. ICP oh, shirts okay. with the the clowns and and whatnot. Magnets. It was an interesting blend though, because it's like you know they they weren't obnoxious or anything like that, and it just we just noticed there were a lot of them, and it just, I thought it, that the celebrity guest roster had like a lot of wrestlers on it, and then when I found out that the twisted dudes were putting it on, that made more sense to me. Yeah, it's like oh yeah, these the juggalos they love their wrestling, so wrestle. <laughs> yeah, like they had some good guests though. Uh, you know, maybe not. Good as in, like, a polite guest, but we had, you know, Edward Furlong and... I tried to talk to that motherfucker, and that <laughs> dude was such a dismissive dick. Like, he was wearing an Electric Wizard shirt. Yeah, that's what drew so, you to him. Yeah, I walk up to him, and I'm like, hey, Electric Wizard, big news. They just booked, like, dates in America for the first time since 
they played a one-off at Maryland Death Fest like four or five years ago. And before that, they hadn't played in America in forever. One of the dates happens to be in Michigan. I'm super excited. And he was just like, yeah. And looks back down at his phone. <laughs> like, okay, well, all right. Then uh, I just like walked away and tiny lister didn't even look up from his phone I no kinda, you walked right up to his table and he was yeah he didn't phone didn't even time. look up from his phone i really wanted to get a picture with debo but yeah. it uh, uh. didn't happen you met patty mullen she seemed yep. pretty cool i was just gonna say yeah she was an absolute sweetheart and she still looks just amazing yeah she did look really nice for and, being yeah. you know whatever 50 whatever i don't fucking and, know after I got the picture with her, she even said, she's like, I kind of wish I would have done the uh, Frankenhooker face for you for the picture, too. And I'm right. like, that would have been actually pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> but, you know, I'm happy. I just got to pick with you because you're really cool. But yeah, she was super friendly. Just uh, I was where uh, this is a little bit plug for my friends at the Say You Love Satan podcast, but I was wearing their shirt and she noticed the shirt and she's just like, Say You Love Satan podcast. Huh? And I'm like, yeah, they're uh, 80s horror movie. uh uh, podcast and they just cover a lot of 80 films and you know into the 90s a bit and they covered Frankenhooker and she's like oh that's awesome and you know she wrote down their information and everything like she wanted to check them out so that's one of uh, Scott's crushes right there well I wouldn't say crush but you know she is gorgeous and yeah the, I just love Frankenhooker it's my favorite Hen and Lauder next to Brain Damage which is then Basket Case my order's a bit skewed <clears throat> on that compared to most but I enjoy that film but yeah that was uh, just a fun uh, excursion. I didn't really meet like I, I don't know I, most of the people there that I would have cared to m- meet. I guess I've met already. Yeah, there were a lot of Sid Haig and Bill Mosley and Kane Hodder. Just you know, people that are at pretty much every everything. I did get to hold the chainsaw from uh, Leatherface Texas Chainsaw Massacre three and sit next to Nubbins from Texas Chainsaw two. That was pretty rad. Huh. Yep, and we both got to uh, take a picture of uh, was this art. R.A. Milahoff, yeah, the guy that played Leatherface in Texas Chainsaw 3, holding that chainsaw. Yeah, that, that chainsaw was freaking huge. It was, Yeah, <laughs> it was cool. very cool to get to touch that thing and hold it and steal it. I mean... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I saw that picture of you running around with it. <laughs> uh, that was a busy day for me. After I did that, I f- fucking went and saw Weed Eater and Crowbar and Corrosion and Conformity that night. It was pretty oh, cool. COC is good. Yeah, they were fine. They played, like, way too much new shit. As far as I'm concerned, Crowbar could have just played through the entire night. Everybody's set. That would have been way cooler. But it was still cool. <laughs> yeah, because you pretty much came home and then got ready for that, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Other than that, I've uh, I've bought some tickets for exciting shows coming up. I mentioned the Electric Wizard one briefly. I'm just, like, i indescribably excited about that a band that i never thought i'd get to see live so yeah that is awesome super stoked that i got to get a ticket for that uh, i bought a ticket for uh, this fest in chicago that's happening my first trip to chicago oh right. that'll be cool so that'll be cool get some pizza yeah and get the deep dish yeah. pizza yeah avoid the hot dogs unless you like weird shit i, I like chicago know. chicago okay. style dogs they go the, too nuts with that I'm, I'm, I'm like a ketchup mustard pickle guy right. maybe at the most like relish but i don't i don't like the lettuce and all that other weird shit okay <laughs> so the, what have you been watching <laughs> list then or yep because yeah we're not gonna do news anymore just because eh, nothing good to... ever happens yeah yeah no <laughs> that's it yeah oh well i do want to give a shout out uh 
most people already know, but, you know, rest in peace to Dick Miller, who passed away probably about two, three weeks ago. Yeah, that sucks. Every time, uh, I don't know when I started doing this, but at some point in my life, um, like any time I would be watching a movie with Dick Miller when he walks out on screen for the first time, yeah, I always go, Dick Miller! That's probably where I got it from then, because I always do that too. Now. I don't know where I heard it at. I don't know why I do it, but I, that's Thanks, Randy. Thanks. something I've done since I was like a... A teenager, I think. <laughs> we had, I think he was like almost 90 years old. He was 92, I 92, believe. Yeah, yeah wow. same yeah. same age as Corman, I think. So That's a long run. Yeah, Corman is a national treasure, and he's, you know, who knows how much longer we've got with that guy. Right. But yeah, I'll be also uh, guest hosting on Double Edge, Double Bill podcast. We're going to be doing an episode uh, honoring Dick Miller, so that'll be... Pretty cool, and yeah, just keep an ear out for that. I'll be posting it in our podcast podcast page when it goes up. But yeah, we can uh, jump right into what we've been watching. Um, well, Tim and I will start first, since ours aren't nearly as like themed as yours is to this episode. Sure, yeah. But Tim and I were on a uh, 80s sex comedy spree for quite a while there. You've probably seen almost all my posts on the page if you're on our Facebook. It was basically rape... The movie. Yeah, yeah. Over sexual and assault. Over and yeah. over. Sexual assault is funny. That's, that Jesus was like the general Christ. theme what the of fuck? all of those movies. It's, yeah. You, you know, you go back and you watch some of those and you're just like, wow, holy yeah, shit. Yeah. But this yeah. isn't good. <laughs> what? What? Yeah, and almost all of them have a very similar plot line. Like, I have a hard time remembering a lot of them, though. They they all ran together. Especially the fact that there seems to be, like, an abundance of, like, skiing-related or, like, vacation-related movies. It's like, they're all just pretty much the same. They're either on a beach or they're on a ski slope, and then the plots are interchangeable. Right, exactly. (laughs) But, yeah, um, the few that I did want to bring up, like, one of the ones that I really did enjoy that I was... uh, that I uh, finally got around to seeing was The Last American Virgin. That one's good. That's probably, I mean, other than, like, Porky's or maybe Fast Times at Ridgemont High, it's probably, like, the best of those coming-of-age teen sex comedies. Yeah, and especially, like, that one just shocked me because that ending was just so fucking downer. I did not expect that at all. Yeah. The, uh... Old teddy bear. Yeah, poor Teddy, just not having a good day. You remember that, don't you, Tim? The just bummer ending of the Last American Virgin. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, I stepped away for a second. Shh, I was trying to cover my. Eyes. <laughs> yeah, we we needed to like. But this no, yeah, joint. that was that was a uh, that was a that was not a, a yeah. The whole like second or last quarter of the movie was just like oh yeah, and then it just <laughs> did not end well. And but uh, then like you mentioned like the ski slope style one we watched uh ski school which is definitely uh the one that always sunny did an homage to with their yeah. ski slope episode oh yeah and south that, park yeah. And, yeah that one was yeah. actually pretty funny all around I yeah thought. that one was funny like um it was then, cheesy funny of course because most of those movies from that era yeah and then we watched classics like porkies and uh screwballs we ended up watching uh hard bodies which i had never seen before which that was pretty good, but you know, just for being an A to sex comedy, entertaining like in that way. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. But then I think it was Revenge of the Cheerleaders. We watched that was that was horrible. That was fucking weird. I'm like, who who took a like somebody bothered to transfer that to Blu-ray? That's what was shocking to me. I mean, it was Vinegar Syndrome, so it wasn't too shocking when you think about right. it. Right. But jeez. 
At least I think it was them. Yeah, I I a lot of those movies have made it to to disc recently. Like fucking Screwballs is on DVD, you know. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty crazy. Like, because then like Amazon has a ton of these just streaming. Yeah, Amazon doesn't care. They'll take anybody's money. Have you ever uh, sat down and watched those Astron Six short films? Yeah, I got. I think I got through the first disc. I still need to sit down and watch the very the first disc. one on yeah. the first disc. The cool guys. <laughs> that one. one was. Oh my I god! I kind of like spoofs all these fucking sex comedies and stuff yeah i'm gonna have to have tim watch that one because holy shit it is hilarious it's only like maybe 10 to 20 minutes long but it's fucking hilarious yeah it's very (laughs) funny uh then we ended up watching uh zapped which that one really wasn't sex comedy that one was just more like just 80s style that's like mom and dad save the universe it was was super pg-13 is what it was yeah but one of the ones where you get like sucked into the TV or something, isn't Scott it? Bayo. No, this is the one where he does yeah, Scott Bayo, and it's uh the one where he's been doing like these experiments and he ends up getting uh telekinetic powers. Oh, yeah. neither is Scott Bayo, Sancho. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then yeah, we watched Private Resort, which was Johnny Depp's first film after uh, Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm Street. Street. I can't believe you wrote all these movies down. Man. Oh no, there's a great app. I'll plug it. Oh, uh, the Letterboxd app. Yeah. I highly recommend it. Randy. Oh, my God. I will write things down longhand forever. <laughs> but you scroll through your phone like, oh, I don't know what I've watched. It's like, here's my list. Already done. You jackass. Okay, but anyways. Okay, uh, but outside <laughs> of the sex comedy stuff, uh, we ended up, Tim and I ended up watching a movie called 68 Kill, which was uh, the, I'm trying to remember the guy, uh, Trent Hagen, I think his name is. But he was in Troma, like he was the leader of the diaper mafia. Yeah, 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 that guy. Yeah, he. Uh, He's in like Psycho, Holocaust, and a bunch of kind of cool underground movies. Yeah, and he directed this one and stars in it. Yeah, and it is a uh, like robbery gone wrong style film, and then just like, like bad. A heist? Sh- yeah, like. In a way, because it's like he's with this girlfriend who is just completely psychotic and just yeah. wa- like obsessed with like trying to like kill and murder and yeah he gets he just gets drug along on like her spree what's it called uh 68 kill okay all right that sounds cool pretty fucked up yeah it's a lot of fucked up shit happens super violent and just way over the top and you're just like holy shit this guy just one bad decision after another is just it's i like that guy if if you've never seen psycho holocaust i recommend that some dude gets like fucked in the butt with a (laughs) Machete? Or oh something. Jesus! I don't, I don't <laughs> That's a bad place to have that happen. Yeah, and it like shows it. Oh wow! Yeah. No. <laughs> it's pretty brutal. Because I've heard of that movie, but I've not watched it. Uh, and then another one Tim and I ended up watching was uh, Polar with Mads Mikkelsen. No, yeah, that looks dumb as fuck. It was actually pretty entertaining. Good. If no, you go it into dumb. it expecting a graphic novel stylized type movie, and it's it's not even overly it, stylized like Sin City or nothing like that. It, it was it was good. I enjoyed. It, it. just looks yeah. like it would be like a bad mashup of like John Wick. A little bit of that and in there. It definitely has a. Lo- it pretty much it is a mashup of like just about every like revenge assassin movie that's been out in like the past 10 or 15 years netflix is just making everything that they can you know they they have no desire to deliver a quality product they're just trying to make as much fucking original content as they possibly can whoever honestly i directed it or whatever because i mean the the movie looked great yeah i'll say it's quality really well the action scenes were enjoyable. Uh, yeah, it had uh, it had its weak spots. The dialogue was all pretty uh, whatever, but 
But the characters, the villains were all over the top style, and it was just... uh, His eyeball got poked out. It was violent, and it was... Yeah, it was a great, just, (laughs) like, full-on, non-stop action film. Yep. Like, don't roll your eyes, Randy, until you've seen it, or at least... You know, see um, more about I feel it. like I already have seen it. Lots of people die. That's the problem with movies like this. I feel like I've already seen it. But you haven't. You just said it. It's like every other goddamn action movie, this and that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Do you, you like action movies? Sometimes. See, it's, it's, it's maybe worth a watch someday. Uh, and then I ended up, uh, this is one more of the, the stuff that I've watched by myself, but I ended up watching The Green Room again because The Green that Room is great. fucking awesome. Yeah, that movie rules. Patrick Stewart, just, uh, just creepy as just and intimidating as shit as Sucks the leader that one dude what's his fucking oh, uh, name the dead guy god damn it uh, uh anton Yel- yeah anton yelchin, yelchin. She, yeah. yeah just like such a, a tragic loss of young talent that guy had some good stuff under his belt in a horrible way that it happened too yeah if i can just well, go into get the out mail. of his car and it ran him over or something what? no no he was he parked his car and he went to go get the mail and the parking brake came loose and it came back and slammed him into his brick mailbox yeah oh man jesus that's yeah, like the age of 26 or something that's uh that's shitty yeah it's really fucking terrible makes you afraid to go outside almost yeah <laughs> this uh the sullen year sullen the guy that made it yeah him and the blue ruin move yeah Blue Ruin, yeah, is yeah. he's off to a pretty pretty good start as a filmmaker. Yeah, because he came out with another one that's on that was a Netflix. I think it's called After Dark or something like that. I haven't had a chance to watch, but I heard that was pretty good. The guy does like gritty violence in a really ugly, mean way. Yeah, because some of the violence in this movie is just in- uncomfortable and intense. Yeah, mean spirited. Yeah, and. Yeah, if you guys have not seen The Green Room, highly recommend it. Like, it's been talked about a lot, like, in the, over the last couple of years, so I'm not going to go into too much detail. But then, uh, the last one I'll talk about was uh, the Shudder-exclusive documentary, uh, Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror Films. Horror that ties noir. into our episode, so... Yep, that's why I leave that left that one for last, but that was a really fascinating documentary that, like opened my eyes to a lot of films I've never seen before and just had like a lot of just interesting facts about a lot of these films that I have seen before. Right. And yeah. But yeah, they just go in like, uh, but there needs to be a movie that needs to come out with, uh, what's the name from uh, The Thing? They Live, David, uh, Keith David. Yeah, so there needs to be a movie with Keith David and Ken Forey because they're in the theater together through like throughout this whole documentary. And their interactions between each other is just awesome, and I would love to see them together in a film. That'd be awesome. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Throw in Tony Todd. Yeah, no kidding. Like that that was actually Ernie one... Hudson. Oh yeah, that would be cool. But yeah, like that's the one thing I didn't even realize. But yeah, Tony Todd was not in this documentary for some reason. Huh. That's odd. Yeah, like Did his... they talk about him at all? Well they brought up Candyman and his performance and all that stuff. Right but on. yeah, they just maybe they just weren't able to get him or something. I feel like they should have definitely mentioned the Night of the Living Dead remake, too. I actually think they skipped over the remake and just talked about the original. The original. Like, how the impact that had. Yeah, I mean, that's an incredibly significant film, especially in bringing black people to the forefront and making them important in a cast and not just a victim or whatever of the monster and... You know, Ben's character is the hero, and... And technically, he still is a victim to the monster, like, when you look at it, like, the very Sure, end. yeah, at the, at the end there. Oh, man, I haven't seen it. Oh, <laughs> well, you shut <laughs> up. <laughs> you, you never seen it? 
I don't think so. Oh, well. But yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get you there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, imagine... I'm terrible. 1968 audiences where Ben decks Barbara. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, they that probably got a good reaction out of the theater. Not a, not a good way, just a shocked reaction, I should say. <laughs> but, yeah, I heck, if you guys have Shudder, this is a just high recommend for me. Like, so far, it's like, I think it's the second 2019 film I've watched, at, or, and I count documentaries, and, yeah, this is number one so far out of the two. <laughs> but that doesn't say much, because I don't have... You, you, top half. It's in the top half. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's really fucking good. If you like documentaries, definitely give it a... Uh, give it a watch. <coughs> How about you, Randy? What have you been watching? I had kind of like a little serial killer true crime theme going on toward the end of January. So I watched a bunch of those movies. I watched The Boston Strangler from 1968. If you've never seen it, I highly recommend it. Very influential in terms of like split screens and multiple shot like shots overlapping one another. Um, it, it even predates Woodstock in terms of using that. Oh, wow. You can just tell that Brian De Palma like, sat around and watched that movie a hundred million times. The cast is really good. It has uh, Tony Curtis and... What the fuck is his name? Oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, well. I'm just brain farting on that. Has another person. Next! <laughs> uh, I rewatched The Boys Next Door, one of Penelope Spheris' first films after she did the Decline of Western Civilization documentaries. Very cool movie about two high school graduates that go to California to wreak havoc before they start their shitty nine-to-five jobs on Monday or whatever. And they just do increasingly violent, horrible things as they go out there from, like, Robbing a convenience store to assaulting an old woman at the beach to murder. And yeah, it's a really good movie. Like the only cool, good performance that Charlie Sheen's ever given. Oh, wow. <laughs> I rewatched Bully, which is very awesome. Now that's got the guy from Sid City, right? The one that plays Yellow Yeah, Nick Stahl. Yeah. Yep. I've seen that a long time ago. Bully is very awesome. Directed by Larry Clark, the man who did Kids. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, okay. But it's a it's a true crime story based on a case where this guy kills his best friend because he physically and mentally abuses him throughout his whole life and like rapes his girlfriend and just does all kinds of awful shit. Jesus. Very cool movie. Very explicit and seedy. I rewatched Citizen X, which is based on Andre Chikatilo. It was made for HBO. In the 90s, the cast is very, very impressive. Donald Sutherland and Stephen Rea and, uh, fuck. Jeffrey DeMunn plays Chikatilo and does a very good job. Max von Sydow is in it briefly. Oh, nice. Ooh. HBO has always done really well, even in their original movies. Pretty much everything that they spit out is worth a watch. For the most part, yeah. I rewatched uh, another made-for-TV, but this one was made for, like, network TV called The Deadly Tower from the 70s. It's uh, it's about Charles Whitman. If you're unfamiliar with Charles Whitman, he climbed the Texas uh, University of Austin, I think, clock tower in the 1950s after killing his wife and 
parents and then shot and killed like 20 people, 18 or 20 people or something like that. Uh One of the first instances of violent mass shootings that are now a very regular occurrence in the country. But back then it was like, holy shit, this is, this is happening. Right. I rewatched Dirty Harry, which is very loosely based on the Zodiac case. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, the killer in Dirty Harry is supposed to be Zodiac. Oh, nice. I like Dirty Harry. The the guy that plays the Zodiac in Dirty Harry, Andrew Robinson from Hellraiser. Oh, no shit. Nice. And we're going to hopefully be meeting him in a couple months. Mm Mm-hmm. I rewatched The Doctor and the Devils, which is like a kind of a gothic horror account of the Burke and Hare story. Burke and Hare used to murder people and sell their bodies to medical schools to use for research and dissection because at that time it was still illegal to do a lot of the autopsy procedures necessary to learn and expand knowledge of the anatomy. Wow. That's a great movie. If you've never seen it, it has very Hammer vibe. Cast is pretty cool. Has uh, Stephen Rea again and uh, Twiggy, <laughs> the model. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry, dying over here. Timothy Dalton is in it. He's <laughs> James Bond. Yeah, briefly. Fucking James I think Bond. Only Bond in one movie. Uh, still is James Bond. Yeah, I've always had kind of a man crush on Timothy Dalton. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. He's a pretty cool guy. Then I rewatched From Hell for the first time in quite a long time. That movie is, I don't know, it was, it's one of those movies that was cooler when I was young, but it's still all right. Which one? From Hell? Yeah. Okay. The Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Based on the Alan Moore graphic novel. Graphic novels. I rewatched Peter Jackson's Heavenly Creatures. If you've never seen that, I highly recommend it. It's, I call it, I, I would say it's his best film. Like, I like dead alive and bad taste more but from uh but heavenly creatures is it's his best film it's very imaginative it's based on a true crime story from the 50s in new zealand where these two like introverted outcast girls meet and become really close friends and one of them has to move away because of her health and they decide to kill the other one's mother whoa wow it takes a turn. Yeah, cause that is, that's one of the Peter... I think that's the only Peter Jackson film I actually have not seen. It's really great. It's very, very, very awesome. It has a young Kate Winslet in it, and she's just, like, one of the best actresses ever. Really? Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. She's really good. She's Wait. extremely, extremely good in this movie. I rewatched a movie called Killer, A Journal of Murder, which is about Carl Panzeram a serial killer from the early 1900s killed about 20 men. Oh, wow. An interesting case because he's one of those dudes who could have, he could have been something with a different life, you know, like different time and circumstance. He could have been an author or a teacher or something. Oh, really? Yeah. But like life and circumstance made him a monster. James Woods plays him in the movie. It's, oh, no shit. Yeah, it's really James good. Woods. Cool. It's, uh, his story is actually very interesting. He wrote his memoirs while on death row, and a guard smuggled them out and got them published, like, decades later. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very cool story. I rewatched Fritz Lang's M, which is, I believe, his first 
talky after doing several silent films. I don't think I recognize that one. It stars Peter Laurie. It's kind of an account of a few different serial killers. <laughs> Scott over there choking himself out with his vape. <laughs> it's based on uh, Peter Curtin and Fritz Harmon and someone else who I can't remember. I don't recognize any of those names. Mostly Peter Curtin, the vampire of Dusseldorf. Vampire. <clears throat> he, you know, all just horrible killers, mostly child killing. Oh. <clears throat> M is good and very groundbreaking in that it's like, it approaches the serial killer thing from a, like a police procedural look. And hmm. I mean, for a thirties movie, that's, that's kind of crazy. Oh, okay. It's really old then. Yep. I rewatched Jim Van Beber's Manson Family, which is just now and forever going to be the definitive film on the subject. No one will ever make a better Manson Family film. It's just not possible. It's incredibly psychedelic and brutally violent and explicitly sexual. And <clears throat> it tells the story in a very unromantic and dirty light, the way that it needs to be told and shown. I feel like the Helter Skelter TV movie was like just it was too TV and it was too glamorized and dramatized, right. dram dramatized, dramatized for audiences. And I feel like Tarantino's movie is, you know, it's just going to be fucking Tarantino. It's going to be two and a half hours of people talking about funk music and saying the N word and like talking about shit that they really shouldn't know about, like movies that they should have no knowledge of. Well, I think that's not even going to be like focusing on. No, it's just, it's, it's, gonna a, be like the, it's about the year 1969. Yeah. And that's one of the big things that happened that year. I also rewatched Uli Lommel's Tenderness of the Wolves. I've heard of that one. I don't think I've ever seen that. It's also based on uh, Fritz Harmon, the butcher. Basically directed by Warner Fassbender. But it's like it's called an Uli Lommel movie for some reason. It's good. It's creepy and it's uncomfortable. A lot of it is like people. A lot of people call it boring. It's not boring. It's just there's a lot of dialogue and Randy says it's not boring. Everybody, <laughs> it's not boring. Put that on the back cover of the DVD. <laughs> it's not boring. It's not boring. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! <clears throat> I rewatched the Untold Story. Uh, it's an a Japanese film based on a true crime case where this guy kills a family and takes over their restaurant. Oh, okay. Wow. It's pretty violent on screen child killing. Not, uh, not for the faint of heart. Oh, geez. Yeah, no, it's a good one. Uh, between that and the theme that I started up for February, I also watched, I rewatched The Greasy Strangler. <laughs> that movie is incredible. It's yeah, it's one of the best movies that's just just ever. It's so fucking weird and it's just so bizarre. It's one of those movies and I've never had this ever happen to me before where after I watched it, I sat there and goes, I don't know if I liked this or not. It had I it took me a couple days to decide that this movie was amazing. 
Cause... Same thing with Bill. I showed Bill that movie and it, it ended and he's like, I, I, you know, what do you think? And he says, I don't know. I don't know if I liked it or not. But then for the next fucking week, it's all he could talk about. And <laughs> every text that he sent me was some quote from the movie or yeah, that, that movie is is like brainworm. It gets into your head. Yeah, it really does. I need to show this to Tim one of these days. It's going to just make him go. I'm completely crazy. I've seen the trailer. If you're into like Tim and Eric style absurdist humor, it, you'd neither am I. That's why I wasn't sure. <laughs> like I, but see, even if you're not, so that obviously shows that I still enjoyed it, even though I'm not into that type of humor. But it's something about that film. I watched a newer movie called Pigpen, which is by Jason Koch, a newer director. His other film is called Seventh Day, which is also very good if you haven't seen it. Pigpen was so good that I immediately ordered it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, my buddy Ray brought it over and we watched it and I liked it so much that I just immediately ordered it. Nice. Yep. It's very, very dark. It uh, exposes like the underbelly of America, you know, just child abuse and the down, like the horrors of l- low income living and manipulative disgusting people that take advantage of people that are in those unfortunate situations oh wow and it's also horrifically violent and uncomfortable and yeah <clears throat> it's it's one of those <laughs> there you go what the burp oh i guess yeah i hadn't done one of those <laughs> it's one of those movies that makes you feel like you need a shower when after, after you're done oh, wow. watching it it's really uncomfortable and gritty and fucked up and yep not not for the faint of heart then for february i started a new theme i was i'm just doing like all black history in film stuff well before you jump into that though you uh, also didn't you watch song of solomon oh yeah i did i did watch that that was uh what's that it's uh by the guys that did the, the american the- yeah, the American guinea pig things or yeah, something. Yeah, the Ameri- oh, American okay. guinea pig series. And so it's like splatter blood gore. The toe tag guys did some of the effects on it. It's, yeah. uh, I don't know. It was okay. Yeah, because I remember you were saying the effects were really, really awesome. Yeah, it's basically just any possession movie. You know, priests show up, possess people, do and say fucked up stuff. Possession, possession, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> But uh, the gore and the effects are really, really gooey and nasty. So if that, I mean, if you want to see that, then it's totally worth a watch. Yeah, because the trailer had me intrigued, really. And you know, and I, you know, I'm not that type to get into like the American guinea pig films or like what are what was the other ones that are similar to that? Those ones, those types of movies. Yeah, the ones. Yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'm not into those movies. But seeing something about that, something about that trailer had me actually piqued my interest. And I'm not even into the like exorcism films that much jim van beber was in it for like i don't know half a second or uh, he was in it for a while but he's he's just he's just awful no (laughs) he's terrible he's just a name to put on you know on your movie as a selling point like hey jim van beber's in our movie right how about that uh i watched what the fuck was it called it came from out. I can't even remember what the shit it's called now. <laughs> Some older trauma creature movie. Oh, I know what you're talking about. They just got. I remember you were seeing your post about it. Yeah. Yeah. 
today on the podcast by the cemetery. <laughs> we sit here and ponder while we try to figure out what we watch. Uh, what did we do? That was, I don't know. I don't remember what the hell it was called. It was a cool little creature movie, though. It kind of reminded me of um, The Deadly Spawn in a way. Oh, nice. Not It wasn't like super gory like that or anything, but it was, you know, like rubber creature monster from outer space. Hold on. Let me, uh, let me make an edit point and then we'll edit in later. There's nothing out there. All right, cool. What's this for? What's that for? Well, so whoever now, if you're listening, you'll know the name of the movie that Randy forgot about because we'll remember it and I'll edit it back in. Oh. So we still don't know it. We're just going to continue what you're carrying on. Yeah. <laughs> I also watched this movie called The Mold from Planet Xanadu <laughs> or some shit, and it's what the fuck? it's by that guy that did, um. Adam Chaplin, Violent Avenger, and Tater oh, really? City, and the fuck are the other ones called? Something Hell or Inferno or Hotel Inferno or something. Hmm. All of his movies are pretty cool. Kind of Astron 6 in a way. You know, goofy, slapstick, super gory, low budget. Right. Yeah. Sounds fun. All of his stuff is kind of fun. I watched uh, this movie called Skinner. For the that's been on my list forever. I'd never seen it before. It has Ted Raimi and Tracy Lords in it. Huh. Kind of yeah, kind of gory. Super. Like, uh, I I can't even. There's a scene where he's he uh, so he skins people and he wears their skin. It's kind of like an Ed Gein thing. Okay. Oh, that's that's nice. Jesus, I'm not even going to talk about it. <laughs> never mind. It's never mind. I, I, there's a reason that this movie has never had a bigger audience and took so long going from DVD to Blu-ray. And now I know what that reason is. Oh, <laughs> all right. Well, moving on then. <laughs> Pretty offensive. But anyway, so the, uh, Black Film History Month is what I'm doing for February, and it's, you know, I'm watching movies that either star uh, a black person or were directed by a black person or prominently feature them as the main character. Because, like, you know, some of them, like Candyman, Tony Todd, he's hardly in it, but... But he's, like, with, such a prominent... Yeah, with that with 15 that minutes of screen time and narration, he's, like, iconic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I watched Friday Foster, which is a very cool Pam Greer film. One of her best ones, honestly. The cast in that one's crazy. It has like Carl Weathers and Yafet Kodo and some other big names and like kind of a cool funky score. Hey, Friday, what you doing, girl? Hey, <laughs> Friday, what you doing, girl? Uh, that one was cool. She's like a photographer that exposes some crooked shit and <clears throat> it's kind of a typical 70s crime flick, you know, lots of guns and car chases and funky music and it's a good one nice uh-huh. i rewatched vamp oh that that movie is uh something else yep fucking super cool movie kind of like porkies in a way like yeah friends go to this place sex place to do sex stuff but then it turns into from dust till dawn except you know from dust till dawn totally ripped this movie off ah, yep okay. all the strippers are vampires and it's a very cool film with interesting characters and cool lighting and cool violence. Um, and has a uh, creepy Eric Roberts. Is, is that, is that, no, no, it's, uh, what the fuck's his name? 
Billy Drago. Yeah, Billy Drago. Billy? That dude just... Uh, that guy always plays somebody creepy, and in this mm-hmm. one he does. The very end has one of the worst instances of oops, we fucked up that I've ever seen in a movie, though, like where Grace Jones' skeleton arm flips oh, off yeah. the camera, and you can see... Both hands of the fucking prop guy manipulating yep. the arm and moving it. Like, <laughs> who the fuck didn't catch that? You know, Jesus Christ. Yeah, because when we watched that for uh, the podcast back in the day, that yeah. was like one of the things we brought up. It's like, holy shit. <laughs> I rewatched Tales from the Hood again. Fuck yes. It's that like, amazing. I don't even like the fifth time I've watched it since the Blu-ray came out, maybe. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I fucking love that movie so much. I can just, you know, I can never stop saying positive things about it. <laughs> cool. I do, I do like that movie, too. Yeah, that movie's great. I rewatched Surviving the Game. Oh, nice. With the movie uh, kicks fucking ass with Ice T. Yeah. If you've never seen that, the cast is like pretty crazy. Fucking. Gary Busey's in it. Yeah, Busey and Roger Howard. And, oh, wow. Uh, what's his name from Stand Against Evil? That John oh. T. McGinley or whatever. I, yeah. Like F. Murray Abraham and fucking. Yeah, very stacked cast in the vein of The Most Dangerous Game and Hard Target. If you've ever seen those, then you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, but this I remember catching that one on VHS when my <clears throat> stepdad brought it home, and I I just love that movie. Yeah, very super, very super cool movie. Highly recommend it if you've never seen it. Yes. I rewatched Ghosts of Mars. Now, I have not seen that since it like first came out, and I can barely remember anything about it now. It's, it's a piece of shit. <laughs> but it's fun. You know, it's fun. It's never boring. It moves along in a pretty steady clip. It's pretty violent. The cast is pretty ridiculous for the most part. You know, I mean, Natasha Henstridge wasn't the best choice for a lead. No. But Pam Greer, Ice Cube. I forgot Pam Greer was in it. Yep. Wow. Very violent. Very cool, kind of a reworking of, like, a few of Carpenter's earlier films. It's basically just Assault on Precinct 13. I rewatched this movie called The Arena. It's a gladiator movie about, like, women gladiators. Pam Greer's in it. Gladiator. Nice. Yeah, it's very cool. Fuck, I love Pam Greer. Yep, she's very awesome. Very, very sexy woman. Yes, she is. I rewatched I'm Gonna Get You, Sucker for the first time in, like, fucking 25 years. That movie's so good. Yeah, it was pretty funny still. Definitely uh, had me laughing a couple of times. I forgot that it was, like, a spoof. I thought it was just a comedy, but... Right, no, yeah, yeah, it's a straight-up spoof. It's, like, part spoof. Like, the part where fucking Isaac Hayes, like, puts all the guns on, and then he, like, (laughs) trips and fucking kills himself. (laughs) Oh, man. Pretty funny. Um... I rewatched Black Mama, White Mama, another Pam Greer movie. It's kind of a reworking of The Defiant Ones. If you've never seen that, it's a movie with Tony Curtis and Sidney Poitier where they're like chain gang together and they escape and they have to survive. And that's basically the same thing. Oh, okay. Pam Greer is chained to some white bitch and they have to survive. I rewatched Coffee, another fantastic Pam Greer film. Probably the best Pam Greer movie. So good. If not that one, then uh, Foxy Brown, oh, which yeah. I also rewatched. Foxy Brown has that awesome finale where the dude gets like chopped to pieces in the uh, the, propeller? the airplane propeller. Yeah. 
cooler. but coffee i think is cooler overall a lot of these these pam greer movies almost all of them feature sid haig in like a pretty prominent role especially black mama white mama he's in that one a lot and uh he's in Couple of the other ones, which I'm about to mention, the Big Bird House and the Big Doll House, or the Big Bird Cage and the Big Doll House. Both of those are like women in prison movies with yeah. Pam Greer. I think the Bird Cage one uh, was, uh, I think you brought over here a while ago when we watched it, and that was uh, like one of the first uh, women in prison films I've ever seen. Those are both really cool. If you haven't seen them, Sid Haig's in both of them big time. With hair. Yeah. Uh, he has his head shaved in a couple of them. Oh, does he? Okay. I think he has hair in... I think it was the bird. It's either Coffee or Foxy Brown. Whichever one he has the Russian accent in, I can't remember. Oh. I think that one's Coffee. Uh-huh. Uh, I rewatched Black Caesar, which is uh, like a mafioso movie where Fred Williamson like gets in good with this Italian guy and then just bumps, bumps him off and takes over his entire territory. Oh, okay. It was kind of a bigger movie. James Brown did the soundtrack for it. Oh, boy. James Brown. <laughs> nice. Uh, it was made by Larry Cohen, who did, like, the stuff and Cue the Winged yeah. Serpent. I didn't know that. And it's alive. He notoriously made that film guerrilla style on the streets of New York. And a lot of the reaction shots of people seeing Fred Williamson, like, walking down the streets, having been shot or whatever, are genuine. Like, people like, oh, my God, is that guy dead? Wow. <laughs> should, we this, should we help this guy? Or? That's how you get good movie footage. I rewatched both of the 48 Hours movies that Walter Hill did with Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those are both awesome. I got some of them. I think I got one of those on Laserdisc. The first one has James Remar and Sonny Landham. Uh, yeah, and James Remar will be at the convention we're going to. Oh, that's cool. The second one has Andrew Divoff as the, the bad guy. Which is pretty awesome. Oh, nice. Wishmaster. Yeah. Yeah, because he always plays kind of like a good villain. Uh, and I rewatched Detroit 9000 by the underrated Arthur Marks. That one has a pretty star studded cast that includes like Scatman Crothers. Nice. It's a, a heist <laughs> movie, also about like crooked cops. Alex Rocco's in it. And I think that's it. Oh, wait. Oh, you watched the Friday films, too. Yeah, I watched all three of the Friday movies. Yeah, those movies are fucking great. Yep, those are all funny, every single one of them. I don't care what anybody says, they're all funny. Yeah, Obviously, uh-huh. the first one's best, but I think they're all funny. I watched The Mac for the first time. I'd never seen that before. That's a movie about, like, the pimping game. Like, Richard Pryor's in it briefly, a little bit toward the end. Oh, nice. Richard Pryor's cool. Yeah, I love Richard Pryor, especially a lot of the stuff with him and uh, Gene Wilder. I rewatched a bunch of his movies, too, like Which Way Is Up and Car Wash and... Oh, Car Wash. I haven't seen that in forever. Else? Like a couple more, too. The Wilder and Pryor ones, I did those. And like I did Blazing Saddles, which he was supposed to be in. But the studio said no because of all the legal trouble that he was in at the time. Oh. <laughs> he co-wrote the movie, but was not allowed to act in it. Is that the end of your list? <coughs> uh, yep, that's everything. Okay, well, I wanted to bring up one thing I forgot, and it's uh, what I've been playing. 
Oh yeah. I've only, and this definitely fits in the horror theme. I've only maybe got about four hours in, but I have to talk about it, and that's that Resident Evil Two remake. Oh yeah. Holy shit! This this is a complete and utter reworking of this game from the ground up. They've kept a lot of like the things that the fans loved about the first Resident Evil Two. Like, the character's story, like, mm. there's even a little more story added to it just to kind of make it, have it make a little more sense. But then, uh, you can do the playthrough as Leon and Cla- uh, Leon and Claire, and then go through as a second playthrough of Leon and Claire to get other side of the story. The graphics are probably some of the best I've seen in a game in a while. Like, I know I keep saying that, but each time I see a new game, it just <laughs> they just keep getting better and better and better. Like, better than the new God of War, or...? It's up there. Like it's, it's either gorgeous. Red Dead. It's real pretty. Yeah, yeah it it's is spooky. Pretty though. Yeah, yeah, this this game has me on the edge of my seat the whole fucking time I'm playing it. Like uh, they have done a great job with just creating this just horrifying atmosphere without like a ton of jump scares. Like you'll still get the occasional jump scare of a zombie coming out of somewhere like that just startles you, but it's mainly just like the whole entire time I'm just gripping my controller white knuckle because I'm just like oh, fuck. This is just it's just creepy the whole time. And the violence is just insane. Like, uh, you see a guy just getting completely ripped in half, like, and you just see the wet intestines pulling out slowly from the body and everything. And the zombies all look, each, each zombie looks unique. It doesn't have like, uh, where a lot of games back in the day had like, oh, there's so many zombies. But if you look, you can see all of them wearing like similar shirts and stuff like that. These are like all unique, uh, designed from the ground up. Hmm. The liquors look, fucking horrifying and uh i haven't come across him yet but i know he's in the game and people have said it's just absolutely terrifying it's, nemesis uh mr or... x the tyrant oh yeah. and yeah like this is uh if you are a fan of like the old school survival horror games that resident evil originally was before it became more of like an action shooter i recommend this because so this one is like really puzzle based like the old ones yep or? Yeah, where, where you're in a police station that you can only get into this certain door with a key that has a spade on it, or this statue, uh, you need to get these three pendants to make this statue move so you can go into the sewer. Because, you know, right. all police stations have something like that in them. <laughs> Did they change the puzzles up and shit? Yep, like they, uh, you know, the locations are similar, but everything uh, is changed up just to keep you on your toes. Like, the because when I first got introduced to the liquor and the first version you would see it skittering across like the uh glass ceiling right and in this one you see the shadow of it in a hallway like in a different like completely different room because i was looking around when i got to that glass ceiling area looking around going okay where is that fucker <laughs> nope they changed it just to keep me on my toes keeping you on your toes well that's good i mean why would anybody want to play a direct remake of a game you know right, right? yeah especially like you know, and especially one that you play through a lot to get, like, all the different stuff before. Like, you would get you're so used to it. But, yeah, the locations. As soon as I walked in the police station, I just got hit with a wave of nostalgia going, holy shit, I remember this. It was just a lot uglier. And, uh-huh. like, now it actually, you know, looks realistic. But, yeah, highly, highly recommend this game. Uh, it is great. And I'll probably talk about it a little more once I actually, like, get a chance to finish it. Nope, that's enough. Okay, yeah, fair no enough. No more. Yeah. <laughs> But then, one other thing, too, uh, Tim and I have been going through the uh, Game of Thrones from Season 1, 
the Game of Thrones. Yep. So we're we were watching originally one episode per night. We kind of did doubled up on a couple nights. So yeah, and uh, we're just gonna just watch every single episode from the series until the final season comes out, which is like beginning of April or something like that. We'll get there. And yeah, there's so many reasons why I love that show, but I won't get into it here because I could talk about that all. That, that's for a different podcast entirely. Yeah, mm. <laughs> but uh. Yeah, we should take ourselves a quick little break, and uh, we'll plug a podcast, and when we get back, we will do Randall's Tunes from the Crypt. Yes, there, there will be a commercial in this one. Yeah, we won't forget Not the promo. Not dead air. You, you guys <laughs> like, do you guys like silence? We're selling silence. <laughs> all right, all right. Welcome to the Exploding Heads Horror Movie Podcast. Oh, Dave, Dave, hold what? the phone there, man. This isn't a show. It's a promo. Oh, sorry. Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. Wait, a, a porno? With just the three of us? Oh. Well, I guess I'm game if you guys are. No, no, no you idiot. A promo. Oh, promo. I, I knew that. I was just cracking wise. Okay, can we do this now? Ah, wait. Looks like I lost my notes. What are we going to do? Of course. Okay, look. I'll, I'll handle this. All right, everybody. I'm Christian. You may know me from TJF13. This guy over here, that's Dave Z. You may know him from Banana Laser, The Skeleton Crew, the ABCs of Hidden Horror. And this guy, this guy over here, that's Brandon. That's Brandon? That's it? That sucks, man. Yeah, what the hell's with that? There's nothing else you can say? No, not really. Well, he's quick with a joke. Or a light of your smoke. But there's someplace that I'd rather be. Ah, who cares about us? Let's say something about the cast. Okay, cool. We're the Exploding Heads Horror Movie Podcast. We review, dissect, critique, and make fun of horror movies new and old. Sounds a little bit cliche, but I guess it's okay. Dave, why don't you tell them a little bit about some of our big shows, like the 40 Years of Horror, our Top 50 Slashers, even our classic format of pairing a new and an old movie together. Yeah, and how I have to edit like three, four-hour shows twice a month just because we watch and review so damn much. Yeah, and how we do feature-length reviews, shorter-length, round-robin reviews, top 20 topics, and a lot of fun interaction with listeners. That about covers it. All right, sounds good, guys. I knew we could do it. Tell the fine folks out there where to find us, Dave. Oh, yeah. Exploding Heads Horror Movie Podcast can be found on Horrorophilia.com, the Horrorophilia Network, LegionPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and anywhere that fine podcasts are heard. All right, that's a wrap. Now, guys, tell me, what's the deal with this uh, porno? Are you the caboose or the engine? Them's the jokes, folks. <laughs> On this edition of Tunes from the Crypt, I will be talking about Brutal Technical Death Metal Legends, New York's Suffocation. The New fits- York Suffocation? New York's Suffocation. No, I mean, suffocation fuck. from New York. <laughs> they fit in with this episode because it's the brainchild of Terrence Hobbs, who's a black man. Mike Smith, their drummer, who's also a black man, and they were both very instrumental in furthering death metal's brutality like his mike smith's blasting style is still copied to this day and terrence hobbs like the technicality of his riffing and like the slam style of riffing something completely new to death metal they formed in 88 and started doing demos their re-cremation demo was the heaviest fucking thing that existed on the planet when it was released. Oh, I yeah. will accept no arguments on that. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they just, like, they were pretty legendary. Their uh, 
They kind of have a bad habit of recycling material. The re-incremation demo was basically recycled onto human waste, which was mostly mostly recycled onto Effigy of the Forgotten. And then their next album, Breeding the Spawn, everyone seems to hate because they cheaped out on production. Like, the production is kind of thin and tinny. Still a really great album, if you ask me. The next one is the best thing that they ever did, in my opinion, Pierce From Within. Top 10 death metal album of all time. Incredibly brutal and heavy to this day. Like, you could put that on, and it's, it would be heavier than almost anything that you'd be listening to that was released this year. Oh, nice. After that, they did one more EP before they called it a day for quite a while. They broke up, and, like, their merch was insanely sought after and expensive. I'm talking sleeveless t-shirts selling on eBay for two, $300. Holy shit. Wow. Yep. That's crazy. They reformed about 15, no, about 12 years ago. It's been a while. And they since then, they've done... Five, six, pretty busy. Yeah. All of their new material has been good. Their worst stuff has been among the new material, the newest album especially, but they're still very good, especially live. They just did a farewell tour with their original vocalist and played a lot of material from their first, like their original line and of string of albums before they broke up it was very awesome very brutal they were perfect completely completely perfect like flawless note for note incredibly good it would have been cooler if Mike Smith had been playing drums but can't get everything you want I guess um, in addition to the fact that it fits in with the theme of the episode being that they're one of the rare extreme metal bands that were conceived and written by black people they also have ties to horror their uh, human waste EP or demo if you want to consider it a demo the title track from that which is the song that we'll be playing underneath this Oh, song. Okay. Yeah. Has uh, <laughs> the intro is part of the score from Hellraiser. The song that precedes that on the Human Waste EP is called Jesus Wept. Oh, nice. Oh, okay. A lot of their songs are about serial killing or <laughs> real life violence or horror, zombies, death, Satan, hell. So it fits in with the theme of the podcast and the theme of the episode. Cool. Suffocation are one of the most important death metal bands of all time. Anytime you hear someone talking about the subgenre of brutal death metal, that is, that's a child of suffocation. That band would not exist if it were not for suffocation. Aside from Chuck Schuldiner's death and Trey Zegthoff's Morbid Angel, suffocation might be the most important death metal band that's ever existed. Ever. Brutal death metal, slam, deathcore, even though slam and deathcore aren't genres of music that I would like, brag about, they exist because of suffocation, basically, directly. Like, bands like Internal Bleeding and Pyrexia and Dying Fetus and Devourment helped develop that style as well, but like suffocation were the undeniable godfathers of brutal death metal and brutal technical death metal. One of the bands that pushed the technical ability of death metal to the next level 
A lot of the earlier death metal bands, the, the drumming is what held them back. And with Suffocation, their their drummer and guitar player gave everyone like a new peak. You know, like this is what we have to be able to do if we want to fucking matter. We have to be able to do this. And then you get bands like Cryptopsy that answer the call. You know? Oh yeah. So, highly recommended that you listen to Suffocation. If you already love death metal, you're probably already very well acquainted with the band. I have not heard of them, so obviously I'm not. But uh, that's it then? Yeah, that's it then. That's it then. Well then, it's time to get into our uh, featured reviews, with the first one being Sugar Hill. Sugar Hill. Blood is red. Voodoo is blue. Sugar is sweet. Revenge is sweeter. I'm passing seconds. Meet Sugar Hill. No, please. Not a place, but a brand new face. My friends call me Sugar. The foxiest. Looking for anything special? Sexiest. Deadliest chicken town. The mob took Sugar's man away. And now she's gonna make them pay. I want them dead. With a voodoo priestess called Mama Matrace. I know what you can do. The power you possess. How strong is your hate? And Baron Samdi, too. My particular special. A drink that I'm famous for. The zombie. This is my domain. A kingdom of the dead. And an army of undead behind her. Each death has had something to do with voodoo ritual. There's nothing that sugar can't do. Use it. The mob has never seen anything like Sugar Hill and her zombie hitmen. The first film of the evening that we'll be discussing is Sugar Hill from 1974, not to be confused with the Sugar Hill movie from the 90s with Wesley Snipes, which is about organized crime, even though this one is also sort of about organized crime. Totally different movie, though. (laughs) Totally different movie. This one is directed by Paul Maslavsky. This is the only thing he ever directed. He went on to produce quite a lot, though, most notably the Police Academy films. Oh, wow. Really? Like Weird. all of them. Wow. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to take that Sugar Hill money and I'm going to invest it in a comedy franchise. Cops, yeah. Pigs. <laughs> Movies about pigs. Yeah, it's great. Sugar Hill rules. Um, Sugar Hill is the name of the title character. Her boyfriend owns this club, which is aptly titled the Haiti Club or something like that. Something like that. Yep. And uh, this local. Mr. Big Wig type dude wants to buy it and he doesn't want to sell, so he sends his goons to kill 
her boyfriend. Yeah, they, his his they, name's like Langston or Lang, 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 Langston or Langley or something. Yeah, one they, of the dudes that he says to kill him, his name is Fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> well, yep, I think <laughs> gets all up in his face. I don't want nothing to do with you, Fabulous. <laughs> yeah, so they kill him, That's and great. Sugar wants her revenge. So she goes to see local voodoo queen Mother Matrice, mm-hmm. who summons Baron Samadhi. Who was awesome. Yeah, Baron yeah. Samadhi, fucking such a cool character. He so, stole the movie. So fucking funny, yeah. you know. Um, just, just the looks that dude gave were, like, kick-ass. Yeah, he, his, he just had these, like, creepy, sadistic smile and looks. Maybe the a- first instance of a full gold grill that I, like, the first I can think of. Yeah. I know that it didn't become big in the music scene until the 80s. Like, Flava Flav was one of the first people to do it, I think, in the 80s. But as far as a full grill goes, Baron Somebody might have like broke. You know, he he might have been the first. I don't know. I don't right. know. I don't know, man. And his his outfits were cool. Yeah, yeah. He had like that old Louisiana, like Narlins uh, style uh, voodoo priest getup. He was very cool. Obviously, the inspiration for like, remember that wrestler Papa Shango? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I after seeing. Sugar Hill the first time, like, a, a decade ago or so, or whenever it was, uh, <coughs> I concluded that Papa Shango must have been a nod to Baron Samadhi. Makes sense. So, Mother Betrayal summons Baron Samadhi to do the bidding of Sugar Hill to get her revenge against the men that killed the man that she loves. And the deaths, they're all, you know, they're all pretty cool. They're all off screen, but they're still, like, cool ways of... Sure. Yeah, it's I mean the movie the movie's PG. I don't know whose idea it was to make a PG black exploitation horror film. Right. <laughs> but it's, you know, um horribly offensive racial slurs aside, it's a PG movie. Well, through back and through. then, you know, there was either PG or, or R. R. Yeah, there was the, no PG. G PG or R. Yeah, those were your options basically. The zombies look cool as fuck. Yeah, yeah. The, the silver eyes. The that, silver eyes fucking rule, man. And like, literally, they're more like silver orbs <laughs> around yeah, the Yeah, they're eyes. like caps over the eyes. But then they were all, they like, covered like in cobwebs. Half ping pong balls <laughs> or yeah. something. And yeah. then, like Tim said, the cobwebs yep. covering every single one of them. And they were creepy looking little <laughs> The zombies. scene where they first rise from their graves is very cool. And, like, all the scenes where they're used to get revenge are very cool. Like, uh, the very first... Revenge killing, they like they surround the dude with machetes, and then like later on, his head is shown in the burlap sack. Yeah, and then there was a goblet or something that was uh presented and it had like chunks of his body in that. Yep, yeah, the second guy they kill by feeding him to pigs. Oh, yep, was that the second one? Yeah, Yeah, and that, that that scene has that great line where Sugar Hill says. The poor little piggies have gone almost a week without any garbage. I hope, they, like, I like, hope they're into white trash. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> oh, yeah, that, that had me rolling. Pretty fucking hilarious shit. Hope they're into white trash, he says. And like uh, like a lot of these black exploitation style films, uh, it's all white men presented as the evil villains and no not necessarily like, no fabulous was black well, I'll say, yeah. like but i think they were he was more I mean, like the head honcho was a white well, guy yeah, the head yeah, head head mr big well and then his uh southern racist girlfriend or well, right whatever. she was oh horrible. she was she, yeah she <laughs> that scene where sugar beats the crap out of her is great yeah, yeah that was awesome and gives her away <laughs> the oh, other yeah. deaths are cool though the uh the one where sugar like 
uses the incense and the spell to possess the guy and make him stab himself with the knife is cool. Right. right. Yeah. And then uh, the voodoo doll that she slashes with the straight razor. That's one of the few scenes in the movie where we got some blood. The guy's like, the zombies have him pinned to the wall with the machetes and he starts like bleeding from the neck all over the place. Yeah. yeah. And then the, the chicken foot. Like the two, that was that? hilarious. The chicken Chase feet. The guy. He's like, "What the fuck?" Up? Have you ever noticed the little chicken feet that I have on my shelf in front of my copy of Sugar Hill? No, that's why those are there. That's great. Yeah, like one one day I was in a pet store and I was getting treats for uh, Reggie and back back when we had the rabbit and like I saw all these little chicken feet and I had like I got some and put some in front of my copy of Angel Heart and some in front of my copy of Sugar Hill. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> The uh the kill where yeah that the chicken foot attack turns into it's the scene where they put the guy in the snake coffin. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. that's yes. pretty cool. Snake coffin. The, they like bury him with his money. Yeah, but it looks like it was a lot of non-dangerous snakes like ball python. Yeah, like they're yeah. they're dangerous, yeah. but well, not like biting did, dangerous. He didn't even get put in it. It was like yeah. uh, we're going to show a scene of a bunch of snakes, and then we're going to show a scene of a guy getting put into a coffin. So I mean, you know. I don't know. Yeah, but it was like a bunch of ball pythons, it looked like. The massage table kill is fucking awesome. Where the she they're given like fabulous the massage and uh he starts complaining that they're being too rough or whatever. Yeah, and you yeah. see like they're nasty. Your hands are cold, boss. treat me easy, treat me easy. Zombies. <laughs> and then like, you know, the, the main dude gets confronted by the zombies of all of his dead cronies. He's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that was actually a really cool scene, seeing well, them back. Yeah. And that Baron Semity had uh, control of them. His death is a little bit anticlimactic, just uh, drowning in quicksand or what the fuck ever it was. Yeah. yeah. It could have been cooler. And she even said that it was going to be a long, drawn-out death, and it lasted, like, just a couple seconds. Right. It wasn't that, it wasn't that great. But It is cool that uh, instead of taking Sugar Hill's soul, Baron Samadhi takes that Celeste chick to be <laughs> his, new, his new bride or whatever. All right, that's funny. He's like, she'll do. <laughs> yeah, and then it has uh, one of the greatest uh, intro songs and ending songs with that Supernatural. Yeah, Supernatural Voodoo, Voodoo Woman Supernatural by the originals. Voodoo Woman. Very, very cool song. I, I wish I could find a 45 of that. I would totally own that. That's super catchy and just fits the theme of the film. The lady that plays Sugar Hill is fucking just smoking hot. Yes, she is. That white outfit with like the little red under thing that she wears. The low cut thing. Yep. <laughs> Man, she's just... She didn't do much after this, which is unfortunate. She did like some episodes of Charlie's Angels and some Starsky and Hutch episodes. That's about it. She didn't really do much. Oh, wow. I thought she might have been at least in a couple more things. No, unfortunately not. And she really, I mean, she could have been. Like, she was very, you know, energetic and captivating lead. She wasn't like a Pam Greer or anything, but she could have played second to Pam Greer or something and been cool. Right. I mean, especially in this film, you know, it's hard for... uh her to compete with uh, the guy that plays Baron Samadhi. Yeah, yeah, that guy just totally stole the show. He was awesome. The scene where the where he <coughs> he picks up the one mob dude in the cab and fucking he drives him like, out to the middle of nowhere, and he's I, all fucking with him and stuff. No, no, he didn't tell me anything. I don't. I'm just supposed to take you out here. I don't know. <laughs> the dude's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> 
Yeah, it's a uh, good stuff. This movie would not get a PG now. No, no for no. sure. Just wouldn't get made now. A lot of a lot of end bombs being dropped. And- yeah, just horrible racist shit all over the place. But all of those people get their fucking comeuppance. They and do. That's, yeah, that's kind of the point of these movies is that. The shitty racist assholes get their fucking comeuppance, and they get called honky and honk all the time, and it's yeah. god, goddamn hilarious. It is pretty funny. I'll give it that. Uh, this this one is pretty great. There weren't a whole lot of horror installments in black exploitation. You know, you had your Blackulas and your Blackensteins, and you had like P.D. Wheatstraw, the Devil's Son-in-Law, and J.D.'s Revenge, but. This one, this one might be my favorite out of all of them. I fucking love this movie. It's just so cool and yeah. Because at first, uh, like Tim was saying earlier, uh, this uh, this felt just like a regular style black exploitation film. Didn't feel like a horror film. It didn't until the zombies show up. Yeah, yeah until the zombies show up, which <laughs> took about what 15, 20 minutes maybe. About yeah. yeah, almost the entire first act is just kind of like a a just crime, yeah, crime themed black exploitation oh. film. Yeah, this movie was a first time watch for I think Tim and I. It's just very yeah, visually yeah. cool. The characters are very memorable and very cool. I uh the score, the sound the, the soundtrack and the score, the score is cool. Yeah, the drum music and everything was great. Yeah. The score is kind of psychedelic and funky, lots of like reverb and stuff, trippy shit happening. I felt like the audio could have been mastered a little bit better. I feel like whoever did the well, at least the Blu-ray print that we watched, it was like they rushed it through a preset on a computer because it wasn't it wasn't as good as it could have been. See, the version that I have, like, I don't even have a good version of this. About 10 or 12 years ago, all of the big studios started doing archive discs or whatever. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like Warner Brothers and... <laughs> That's the ones where you order them in advance and yeah. they burn them. It's just a, it's a blueback. It's a fucking DVD-R they send to you. You know, the artwork is kind of shitty on these there are no special features there's usually only like 10 chapter stops (laughs) and like the real kick in the pants on a lot of these movies is that most of them that they have chosen for these archive titles wound up getting legit releases like rolling Uh, thunder and the incredible melting man and you know this one just pisses me off the island right. I, I must have bought a dozen of these movies burn witch burn just a ton of them fucking dire of a madman thinking like oh this is the only way i'm gonna be able to get these movies and now they're all on goddamn blu-ray of course that's but you they know getting gotcha. them on better picture quality that's you know it's a good step because we're getting into these you know some of these films that just never had that treatment and it's good to have them in the newest format yep they'll live on well, I would score this one an 8 out of 10. Nice. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give it a 7.5 out of 10. I, w- I would score it a little higher, but slow start and just being kind of all, almost all off-scene kill or off-screen kills. But right. good movie. I enjoyed it immensely. Great soundtrack. Yeah, <clears throat> this being the first time watch, I wasn't sure what exactly to expect. Uh, I knew that zombies were involved, but like that was just from the poster art and the synopsis that I read on IMDb. Yeah, but, not the uh, not the flesh eating zombies of George Romero. No, no, no. These are more like the voodoo style. Yeah, the zombies. voodoo zombies of the forties and fifties, which is really cool. That that was a nice uh, touch, and having it even like Baron Samadie, which uh, I 
I maybe pronounced that wrong, Samdi, Samdi, but, uh, you know, he is a old uh, legend. Right. And that's cool that they actually brought him onto the screen like that, and then just I'm pretty have the sure that Mama Matreus is like a, you know, a, a folklore character in Voodoo too. Yeah, that's a good possibility. Who do? And yeah, I do love like the, like, the Voodoo style zombies. That just like something you don't see very often. Then yeah, I would give this. Uh, I'd probably give it about an eight out of ten. It was just really entertaining. Even the beginning where it felt more like a black exploitation film, I still enjoyed that. It just was cool. not, yeah. you know, not what I was expecting at first. And but yeah, the soundtrack, the score was great. The zombies are really creepy looking. Most <laughs> of the other black exploitation horror films that I mentioned are also like interwoven into the black exploitation crime yeah. subgenre too, like JD's Revenge and well, PD Wheatstraw are both. Blackula is the one I've seen that I don't think. Right? Really no, that like. one's just like a. A take on the Stoker novel. Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, definitely a high recommend, and it seems like from all three of us, actually. Yeah, it does. So, yeah, we can just move on to our next film, which will be Candyman from 1992. Have you ever heard of Candyman? If you look in the mirror, you say his name five times. In cities everywhere. Candyman? They whisper his name. Right. Candyman. It's just a story. Candyman. Candyman. Just a ghost story. Candyman. An entire community starts attributing the daily horrors of their lives to a mythical figure. The legend first appeared in 1890. He was attacked mutilated and burned to death poor candy man helen a woman died in there leave it everyone knows he isn't real that's modern oral folklore everyone except helen lyle Bernadette. it ain't safe around here that don't scare too easy wanna know about ruthie jane they ain't ever gonna catch him who candy man who is that? I came for you. Do I know you? Now she is about to discover. Helen? Get out! Get out! What's behind the mystery? You're sick. What's behind the legend? Listen, he's under the bed! And most terrifying of all, come with me. What's behind the mirror? He's here. Candyman, you don't have to believe. Just beware. All right. Uh, our next movie is Candyman from 1992. Uh, starring Virginia Madsen, Vanessa Williams, and Tony Todd. Absolutely, Tony uh, Todd. He is a legend now because of this film. <laughs> right? He uh, would have been because of that Night of the Living Dead remake anyway, but this one is, yeah, this is what he's iconic for. Uh, written by Clive Barker and Bernard Rose, and directed by Bernard Rose. Uh, this movie came out in 1992 and scored $25 million in the box office. All right. 
But yeah, let's get into the, what this movie was actually about. Um, I'd never seen this movie. That's why I wanted to pick it, because I haven't seen any of these freaking movies. And I figure if I'm going to get to pick a movie, I might as well pick one that's kind of a, a staple and get these out of the way so I can build up my... Repertoire. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you chose a good one, because this is just... Yeah, it's a classic from the 90s, for sure. Where <laughs> this this or- one, when we made our top 100, it was in my top 65, and it's... <laughs> Definitely in my top 10 90s horror films. It's one of maybe like the best example I can think of of someone taking a source material and just improving upon it utterly in every single possible fucking way. Yeah, it was based on like a real urban legend from that area. Well, no, yeah, Bernard Rose took Clive Barker. The story of The Forbidden is short as fuck. It's like 38 pages. And it's all very, like, the Candyman part of it is is very, very small. Um, Bernard Rose fleshed that out a lot. He not only took the real-life stuff of Chicago's Cabrini Green and some real-life killings that took place there and interwove them into this, he also expanded on the Candyman mythos, like, in the story... We hear very little about Candyman. He's not even a black guy in the story, first of all. Really? Yeah. So Bernard Rose took that and made it infinitely better by giving Candyman this uh, the backstory of being the artist that fell in love with the rich woman and he was killed by the vengeful father and like all of that is bernard rose so that was oh, all wow. really cool that is I all like bernard that, rose. Yeah. And that's what actually builds up this mythos really well yeah in in the forbidden story the helen character is doing her thesis on graffiti and she's just there to take pictures of graffiti and so her disbelief in the Candyman legend is what like awakened the character in the short story and in Bernard Rose's script, everything is just so much more fleshed out. He gave that origin story, and he made it, like, part of this this urban legend thing. The whole look in the mirror and say Candyman, that's Bernard Rose. Yeah. Oh, okay. That okay. is not part of The Forbidden. That's Bernard Rose. In The Forbidden, it's like they, they touch on urban legends ever so loosely. Like the the character from Candyman that they're like like the snooty professor guy that they're trying to like upstage or whatever, right? He's a character in the Forbidden that he briefly talks about urban legends or whatever, but it only vaguely attempts to connect urban legends to Candyman or whatever. And Bernard Rose is the brilliant fucking genius that took this character and fleshed it out and gave him an, or- an origin story and made it like an urban legend. The bees, man. And well, the bees are part of the forbidden story. Yeah. That's, okay. that's part of uh, Barker's vision, but Bernard Rose is the one that intertwined this with like the real life horrors of Chicago's Cabrini green housing project and the drug murders and whatnot. And just like, turned all of this into something iconic and timeless and if it weren't for the Candyman movie Clive Barker's forbidden short story would be just as forgotten as most of the other like 50 plus books of blood short stories the only right. ones that people know are the ones that have become movies really yeah cuz he's not really like known nearly as well as like some of the other horror authors out there 
Like, no, his, I mean, his, he his books of his aren't. movies, but yeah, the the books that are really well known are the ones that have been adapted into film. Right, already happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, this this is uh, just a just classic horror film with like. You know, I love the whole folklore and the urban mythology. Yeah, it's like an urban gothic. It's like someone took... It's a lot like the Dracula story, you know, like, long lost love, found again. Yeah, yeah. Tragic lost love or whatever. It's always been you, Helen. Yeah, it's a gothic love story, but it's like urban gothic, and it's just so fucking good. It was good stuff. I enjoyed that movie a lot. Yeah, the whole just just the setting of Cabrini Green, like that that alone just makes this film just that much more unique. Yeah, that building is a character in and of itself. You know. Yeah, because this was because Cabrini Green's completely torn down now. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, that was just like a very bad area of Chicago with so much bad shit happened there, and I think they had to have like a huge like police entourage when they were filming on scene, like just to keep all the actors and filmmakers safe. Because I guess most of the time, cops wouldn't even go in that area. Oh, yeah. I mean, police disregard areas like that. It's like Escape from New York, in a way. They just kind of let <laughs> yeah. the people that live there exist how they want. Yeah. Unless they, like, something forces them to go in there, like a murder or something, you know? Right. Yeah. And even then, most times, it's just like, oh, well, whatever, murder, done. Yeah, murder, oh, well. Yeah, and then, you know, like we were saying, this is made this made Tony Todd a horror icon. Yeah, just like his performance is just like just spine tingling, creepy. The way well, it's, he it's seductive. And it's, yeah, it's his his character is in in the short story, The Forbidden. It uh, it really talks a, a lot about how he's like seducing Helen to be his victim. It's like it's like a ro- he he wants to kill me, but it's like it's romantic, you know? Mm-hmm. Right, which you know, and that always like ties into a lot of Clive Barker stories. A lot of his stuff's very sexual. Oh, sure, yeah. The guy's got fucking on the brain, for sure. Everything that he does is, is very rooted in sex. Yeah, and, but yeah, like, even, I just love the whole uh, thing with, because I, I don't think this just clicked with me before, because it's been a long time since I've rewatched this, uh-huh. but how he even, uh, Candyman himself, refers to all the people that he's terrified, like, just by his legend, as his congregation. Sure, yeah. Just because that's what keeps him around and keeps him strong. And that I thought that was just kind of a unique way of putting it, instead of just like, you know, I feed off the fear. No, they're my, congreg- they're my congregation. They're what keep me going. There are a lot of lines in the movie that are, like, directly lifted from the story. Like, a lot of Barker's dialogue in that short story is very good. Uh, I am the writing on the wall. It's, like, it's so good to exist as, like, a murmur or whatever. Yeah. And the whole, it's always been you, Helen. Yeah, it was good stuff. Really fun movie to watch. I'm glad I picked it. Um I'm glad I got to pick a movie. Look at that. That's cool. Yeah, and you picked a good one. Like one that you yep, one that is a classic that you have needed to see. Not only yeah. did Bernard Rose take the source material and turn it into something just like beautiful and amazing, just the cinematography, the overhead shots at the beginning of the city and like a lot of the overhead shots and on the score? Uh, yeah, it's Philip Glass's score. They basically tricked that dude into doing the fucking movie. <laughs> Did they really? I heard, yeah, I heard about that. How'd that work out? He, uh, 
Well, he, you know, they were like, we're doing this movie about uh, Cabrini Green and Chicago and, you know, the blight and, you know, urban struggle. And Philip Glass was like, okay. And then it turns out to be this horror movie. <laughs> and like, he thinks, you know, he views it as being some campy, silly B shelf slasher movie when it's anything but. Right. No, yeah, that was really a good movie. I mean, it, it uses the horrific violence of those movies in like the the murder set pieces or whatever, but it's not, not corny like, about them. It's you know no yeah the kills were there are very sounding. few <laughs> very few moments in this movie that are like corny horror like the intro with Ted Raimi and the babysitter there <laughs> you know that's kind of corny horror yeah and like a couple of the sound effects are kind of corny horror but like mostly it's very tragic and beautiful and you know it's it's a love story and it's uh oh sorry cat in the way no too many cats it's just really great everything about it's great the uh the lead roles of virginia Madis- madsen and tony todd are both like award worthy yeah and the thing i like about this film too is Without uh, Candyman, like, being, like, a physical form, this could be just, like, a psychological thriller. Yeah, it could yeah. just be about some white bitch losing her shit. Yeah. You know? Right. I mean, she could, it could have just been what it was, but I don't, you know. It's no, it's definitely it's, not what at all what it is, but they yeah, have the... The kills in it, like, and when he would, like... I've been watching too many black exploitation movies. Like, what is it? From groin to gullet. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, he was like, he will... Yeah, the groin to gullet. groin yeah. to gullet. And, that's from, uh... That's from the... The book. The, the book a little bit like when he's he's trying to seduce Helen into letting him kill her he traces the path of where he wants to split her and it goes he, she says from her her groin to her throat so, and he yeah. keeps using the word gullet in the short story but it's to describe like a room huh. like a like there must be some kind of room that's a gullet or a way to describe like a, a small section of a room or something I don't know hmm. Yeah, like though, but the way he does the kills, yeah, from like crotch up, it just and the like Tim was saying earlier, the sound effects for that just are <laughs> when he kills the therapist, especially is like yeah. oh god. Uh, Virginia Madsen when she's like losing her shit, she strapped does to so the table, fucking good. yeah, she's really good. She like all of the emotional performances that she give with, gives in the movie, whether they're like grief related or terror related, are very good. The one scene, the one scene where the female cop is having her strip and she's like, take off your blouse, drop it on the floor, slide it over to me. Take off your bezier, drop it on the floor, slide it over to me. Yeah. And then she's like, lift your left breast, lift your right breast. (laughs) And every time I watch that, I always go, drop it on the floor, slide it over to me. (laughs) Because I'm a stupid child. (laughs) And that's like, that's something that, like the first time I watched that movie when I was... 12 or whenever when it came out I, uh... way to be rude Tim I hey there I Hollywood I thought I silenced it that was a joke that I made I, then I that thought, I still I, make I thought I silenced yeah. it god damn spam callers too just ruined the whole fucking podcast yep might as well scrap this episode yep we gotta start from the beginning guys uh, this is our rocky start back into the, doing this so it's all good you just gotta put up with us but yeah um where was the Going we lost it all. Oh damn it! Whatever. It yeah. doesn't matter. Back we watched to- movies, guys. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you guys want to just jump into the ratings for this? Well, one? yeah. Well, well, well I'll, I'll kind of. Yeah. I like I said, I really liked this movie. It was creepy in just the right way, but like uh, entertaining. Lots of depth to it, which was enjoyable. Uh, lots of really cool scenery. Uh, cool artwork. Very early '90s feel through a lot, a lot of it. And Tony Todd was just, yeah, I can see why he's such an icon. Uh, I would give this movie like a nine point three. Nice. It's a different rating because we usually do nine or nine point fives. But well, fuck off! I can do whatever I want. <laughs> Tim enough. Tim gives it a nine point two five. I thought about doing like a nine point three repeating, but I was like, <laughs> you dick. Nine point three three. Yeah, nine and a third. Yeah. Everybody, nine and a third. Yeah, I'll, I'll go next. Uh, yeah, everything Tim said is exactly right. This is just uh, the incredible film from the set pieces to the score to the acting. And this is iconic. It's created like the urban myth. Like, I don't. Was the Bloody Mary in the mirror done before this or of, after this? Of course oh, that's, it was. That's before. way before. Yeah, oh, that's that, old that's school. Old, old, old. Yeah, I couldn't old remember. That, that, that's like Mary, Queen of Scots or one of those oh, really? Marys okay. back in the day, I, I think, if I remember correctly. But anyways, yeah, just just having that in and creating this like urban legend or urban myth, it just uh, I love the fact that that's implemented in this film. I think biscuit in your head. It sounds so wrong when people don't have context. But anyways, um, yeah, I would give this a nine point five out of ten. Me too. Nine point five out of ten. That's uh, it's almost perfect. Everything about it is basically perfect. Yeah. But uh, so we'll get ready to review our final film of the night, which is 2017's Get Out. Get Out. You got your toothbrush. Check. Do you have your deodorant? Check. Do you have your cozy clothes? Got that. What? Do they know I'm black? Should they? You might wanna, you know. Mom and Dad, my black boyfriend will be coming up this weekend. I just don't want you to be shocked that he's. Blackman. <laughs> I ain't never seen you like this before, bro. Meeting families, taking road trips. Don't come back all bougie, man. Come back, get your damn pants up to your damn stomach. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys coming up from the city? Yeah, we're just heading up for the weekend. Can I see your license, please? He wasn't driving. I didn't ask who was driving. I asked to see his ID. Call me Dean and you're hungry, my man. So how long has this been going on, this, this thing? <laughs> we hired Georgina and Walter to help care for my parents. When they died, I couldn't bear to let them go. Do you smoke in front of my daughter? I'm gonna quit. She'd take care of that for you. How? Hypnosis. I'm good, actually. Are you ready for this? I'm back in the beat. So look, I go do my research. Apparently, a whole bunch of brothers been missing in this suburb. But it's cool. Bro, how are you not scared of this, man? Couldn't see no brother around here. Chris was just telling me how he felt much more comfortable with my being here. Get out. Sorry, man. Get out! Yo! Rose, we gotta go. Is everything okay? Rose, the keys. Just get the keys. I don't know where they are. Rose! Sink into the floor. Wait, 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 wait. Sink. Mom, it's a terrible thing to waste. Terrible thing to waste. 
too many white people, I get nervous. <laughs> no. No. So, our final film of the evening is 2017's Get Out, which was written and directed by Jordan Peele, which is mainly known for the sketch comedies uh, of Key and Peele. Which sucks. Not to be oh, confused. Oh, there's some pretty with... good segments in those. Uh, very few and far between. Uh, agree to disagree. The Gremlins <laughs> 2 skit is okay. I love the Gremlins 2 skit, but that's like probably the most popular one. But uh, it also stars Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, Bradley Whitford, Catherine Keener, and Caleb Landry Jones. Is that the guy from an antiviral? Yep. Yeah, that guy's good. Yeah, he was yeah. fucked up the whole uh, the whole one. He he's he's up. always plays a fucked up character. He seems to, yeah. But yeah, uh, I most people already know the synopsis for this, but you know it's uh, Daniel Kaluuya and his girlfriend uh, get together and they decide to uh, go visit her parents in their country home, or as we notice, it's more like a plantation house. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's a bit nervous because he's a black man, uh, together with a white woman and parents don't a white know. family yep, that doesn't know. And of course he gets there and lots of awkward, uh, interactions happen. Lots. He starts realizing that there is a reason why he was brought here that <laughs> is, yeah. uh, a bit out there, but... Uh, Shit just starts it, getting weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, yeah, it starts getting weird. It's a very cool, slow burn of a film. Uh, it it, just, it takes a little while for it to get rolling, but, like, early on, it starts planting little seeds of weirdness and dread, and just, like, you know, they, they'll, he'll show you something weird or awkward or strange just to, like, make you uncomfortable for a second or whatever. Right. And that's, I mean, you know, that's the way to do a good slow burn is to every once in a while just kind of like poke at your audience until you're ready to really fucking grab them and shake them, you know? Yeah, that's one thing I got to give Jordan Peele with this is just the writing for this is just so well done. Like you said, it just makes you on, like the conversations they have make makes a lot of people really uncomfortable because it's pretty accurate to how things are with like. Yeah. The way racist uh, racial tensions and all that. It's it's, just... it's it's it was it was a good movie. Dang it! Well, one of the things <laughs> that it does really well is that it shows that it's not just your fucking country bumpkin redneck Trump supporter that you have to worry about. It's these fucking you know the these I know what's good for you white liberals that think that they're you know they know best and they'll actually sit there and argue with black people about like what's offensive and <laughs> right. Yeah, and also, you know, it's like the, uh, well, I don't, I forget what it's called, like, incidental racism or something like that, where it's like, they're not trying to be racist, but it's just like the way they're right. talking, you they just, don't understand. Oh, hey, did you hear that new masterpiece song? Like, if the only thing you can think of to talk about with a black person is, like, rap or, you know, did you... Right, ser- something stereotypical. Yeah, yeah, just, you know, what the fuck, guy? But yeah, and you get that get a lot of those types of conversations throughout this film, which you could definitely tell is heavily inspired by many different things. It has like a Twilight Zone esque. Oh yeah, style very story. very Twilight Zone. Uh, obviously, like Stepford Wives and things like that. It's more 
I would call this more like a thriller slash horror film. Psychological yeah, horror. So, yeah, close psychological. It, there's, I don't know, it has a lot of very, the horror tropes that it uses are very old world. It uses a lot of like 30s through 50s tropes like hypnotism and the mad scientist angle and like brain yeah. transplant. And that's all very old world horror. And yeah, I like what Jordan Peele is doing with his movie a lot. It, it fucks with your head, like, the way that it's a slow burn and the way that he just kind of pokes at you a little bit occasionally through until he finally, like, the first really big scene is that hypnotism scene. Yeah. The nightmare that's not a nightmare, you yeah, know? that's when you're like, what the hell's starting to happen? Yeah, and that that's where he first, like, gives you a really good shake and lets you know that things are going to get way more fucked up from here. Right. And, yeah, look, the way he put this all together with like the visual and the storytelling all together in like one, like lots and lots of symbolism throughout this and lots of hints of like, if you've like, cause you know, this is a, I think we've all watched this like more than once now. Yeah. This is my second or third time. Second time. And knowing what you know and watching his girlfriend and all the other people and how they act throughout this, it's just like, Oh, sure, oh, yeah. That's okay. the scene where they're introducing him around to the fucking creepo yeah. Illuminati people. Yeah. That, that, you know, the first time you watch it, you think this is really weird. And then the second time you watch it, you know what's happening. And you're like, this is an interview process. They're like interviewing this guy, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just kind of just. uh. And then it's like the auction or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. The movie is an allegory for a lot of different things and like a really not a heavy handed one. You know, it's no, it's done really well. And like, like I say, like even like earlier hints, like uh, when they get pulled over by the cop and how uh, his girlfriend is like arguing with the police officer about showing uh, his ID. She wasn't doing that to protect him. She was doing that to protect her and her family. Yeah. So, when so that there isn't any record of him having been stopped by a cop anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Oh, like man. it's all just cleverly done. And then uh, the whole uh, them hitting the deer before the cop even shows up that uh, kind of like ties into his mom being hit and run. Right, sure. And yep. Like that's because if you notice, like even during that, like right when that happens, like he goes back and sees that deer, and then he's kind of looks haunted when he goes back to the car and he sits there. And I think that just kind of makes him like think back to like his mom without really thinking about it. That was a good plot point that they touched on a few different times. That's why he went back for the old woman or whatever. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, it's part of what the mother used to get into his head. Yeah, exactly. Like it's what pretty much just drives like his fears yeah everything about this film is really well written and deliberate and well thought out for the most part yeah and all the acting is just really well done it is uh Uh, very well katherine keener is she she should have done more stuff she's always really cool yeah uh because i guess like she kind of has like a similar character in being john malkovich or something like that and I heard like a interview with Jordan Peele where he's going, you know, I never really thought of it, but he's like, but I seen that movie and I seen her process. And he's like, that's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to bring her on as this type of character. This movie, like uh, a few other recent horror films utilizes a little sound really well. Like the. Yep. The tinging on the glass with the yep. spoon. Like stirring it around and hitting it. Yeah. That and like, like the thing in hereditary and like the the bell bell chime and uh the autopsy of jane doe i love a movie that can 
take something little like that and utilize it like so well, you know? Right. Because like forever for the rest of my life, anytime I hear a single little bell chime or that fucking noise or somebody go, yeah, it's, you're going to go back to think of, you know, instantly. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like every, uh, I'm trying to think where I was going to go with this, but like the, I like, cause at first I, you know, I've seen this a couple times, but you know, there's certain parts that I always forget, but like the whole, I, they did a good job of explaining it. But when I was thinking, all right, so we're going to go into a little bit of spoiler territory here. It's a couple years old, well-known film. Sure. Um, you know, we, they, we, we spoil films all the time. I think at this point, right. I'd still want to give a warning though, <laughs> but, uh, when they transfer the transfer, the brains from the old white people to the new black body, they, I, at first I was like, okay, well, how do they still have like a bit of their consciousness left in them? Yeah. Like, because it is. And like, yeah. yeah. And he actually explains that there's just like that one piece of the brain that they have to leave on Connected the brain stem. Yeah. yeah. And, like, I like the fact that they, you know, even came back to that just to make sure you understood, like, okay, so you can't poke a hole in it besides it just being, like, a bit ridiculous of a story. But. Yeah, it's it's not, like, annoying, heavy-handed exposition that you find in a lot of movies that's just, like, smashing you in the face with the fucking explanation, but... Right. It is there to... For anybody that might be, like, well, what about, or why, you know... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, but I liked how they, you know, the flash of the camera is kind of what, like, snaps them out of that right. for just a split second and, yep. like, enough. And that's, time. that's another one of those old horror tropes is, like, something that, you know, flashes you back to reality or whatever that brings the hypnotized victim back around or the whoever's under mind control or whatever. Right. And, yeah, like I was saying, like, a lot of the symbolism in this, like, that's... Because, you know, this is the third or fourth time now that I've watched this, and I was just trying to look for more symbolism in this one, and then the obvious one was, like, when he's picking at the chair when he's tied up, like, it's, you know, him picking cotton to save his life. Right. And <clears throat> the uh, use of the buckhead as, like, a weapon, which also tied back to, uh, you know, the buck that they hit, which, uh... And then the... There's almost enough goddamn death by antler fucking things to do a top ten best death by <laughs> yeah. antlers at this point. Oh, goddamn. Like, you've got... Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yeah, Silent Night, Deadly Night. You've got fucking Lost Boys. You've got yep. the Hannibal TV show. You've got True Detective. You've got fucking Deadwood. There's just, you know, I feel like there's another horror movie that I'm forgetting. Oh, I'm sure. Probably. Well, I'm, how I'm sure there's like some type of killer deer that goes ramming people in some horror film. Right. Yeah. So the, yeah, at this point we've got uh, quite a lot of options for best antler kill. Yeah. And yeah, like, uh, but her brother, uh, what was it, Bradley something or Caleb Landry Jones? Yeah, yeah. the creepy yeah. ginger dude. He he just did so well in this, just like just like that foreboding, like menace, like because. You realize he's the one in the very beginning scene right, yeah. that kidnaps the one guy walking in suburbia. Yep. He's not a very nice guy. No. And just like, like even they even mentioned that, like, yeah, his uh, ways of capturing the people are a lot more uh, mean spirited and uh, 
more violent than the way the daughter does it. Yeah, yeah, he's not fucking them. No, and <laughs> she's he's not. She, she's more like a black widow, just luring them into the trap, where he's just like straight out going out and just taking them out. But yeah, this uh, the, that guy's somebody to watch between like antiviral and this. I feel like he, you know, he's probably gonna have a cool career ahead of him. Although I think he's gonna be typecast as just that creepy weirdo. He might but, just be a creepy weirdo. Yeah. He, he did really some stuff it. other than that. Like, he played Banshee in one of those fucking X-Men movies. Oh, he did, didn't he? Yeah. I forgot about like that. First Class or whatever. Yeah. Wow. Got to rewatch that one. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen that. I but, don't know uh, if you do. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, even the uh, soundtrack and score to this was really well done. Yeah, it was creepy. Lots of, like, low bass tones. That seems to kind of be one of its only, like downfalls or cliche like cliches is i kind of one thing that i miss about movies in general but especially horror movies is like a really good solid main theme you know like something that's recognizable yeah something fucking just iconic and you know timeless that people are gonna hear and be like oh well that's fucking that's from that movie yeah yeah it's it doesn't seem like we have many of those like uh this one just kind of has one of those generic like deep bassy wail noises yeah it looks creepy low Um, tones and stuff that's just kind of meant to jar you and unsettle you yeah i think the only one that might stand out may be the witch what was what was what was the song that there was was playing about like with lisa and or something i can't remember the name of the stinky lisa (laughs) there's the stinky lisa song jesus christ that was the one. I don't think that's what it was called, but that's what it sounded it sounds like. Sounds like Stinky Lisa. Yeah, stinky, Latin. Stinky Lisa. Stinky Stinky Lisa. Like, yeah, that that's that song. And but then, that just sounds like something that would be in like The Shining, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and then we got the uh, the ending, which we were talking about, like the way this one ends with uh, his TSA buddy coming saving in instead the day. of a, saving the day instead of the. Uh, what you think is going to happen, which is you see the cop lights and you think he's going to either get arrested or shot. Uh, yeah. Like, when I, the spot. when I first saw this in theater, the cop lights, you know, the cops lights show up and start flashing or whatever. And my immediate thought is it's going to be that cop that pulled him over earlier and he's just going to shoot this guy dead. Yeah. And that would have, I mean, that would have been an appropriate social commentary on the way that law enforcement treats young unarmed black men. Right. But it, it's also, it like you know maybe cliche or expected that that would have been the yeah. way that it ended. Yeah, because that, that's exactly what I was thinking was going to happen. That he'd be arrested or whatever. But no, they went the safer route, and you know the one to kind of throw you off your uh, throw you off what you were expecting by having the TSA buddies save him, like by showing up and just getting him out of there in time. Yeah, and you know you don't you don't get a whole lot of horror movies with like a happy ending or no. whatever. You know the. The final girl is almost always fucked up in some way or another. Right, and obviously uh, he's going to be fucked up for what he went through. Sure. And he looked like he was fucked up from when he was driving away. Yeah, that would mess with you, man. Yeah. Poor dude was already fucked up and walking around with all kinds of baggage. Right. And, but yeah, then we watched the alternate ending that was on the Blu-ray where the cops do show up and yeah, arrest he him. Gets arrested. And didn't that look- one was definitely a weak ending. I like- didn't like that ending, no. No, I, like, I figured they could have just had the cop lights and then cut the movie. Yeah, make it very ambiguous. About it. Yeah. That would have been a good way to do it, too. But yeah, this is... Uh, I guess we can just jump right into the review or the rating for this one. Uh-huh. Um, 
This was actually uh, contending for my like number one spot back in 2017. Like I just really loved a lot of this film, but I think I am going to give it a 9.75. Damn, bro. Yeah, I really like this movie. I just guess. there's so much to like dig out of it from multiple watches. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, for me, this uh, I I. Liked it pretty much the first time, which for me is uh, a surprise for most horror movies. I'm not a huge fan of them, but right. Uh, the second time, I liked it even more. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna give this movie an eight point seven five. Nice. I'll give it an eight point five. It's really good, especially for a directorial debut. Like the fact that this is a first film is pretty astonishing. It's yeah. Uh, already very very confident and self-assured and shows a filmmaker that knows what he's doing and where he's headed or whatever so i'm excited to see what jordan peele does next and i expect that everything that he does will be of or above that quality i have no reason to think otherwise yeah because i watched the trailer for us and it just it it looks more like it's diving into more like actual scary horror instead of the psychological horror and it looks Really good. Now this one, uh, this one tickles a few of my fancies. I love that it uses <laughs> tickle Randy, <laughs> the classic tropes like classic horror tropes, like the mad scientist thing and hypnotism and and all that, and has the Twilight Zone feel to it, and is a well constructed slow burn. So yeah. it- <clears throat> watching that horror noir and hearing him talk, you can tell that. He's always loved horror and, like, grew up on it and, like, definitely is inspired by a lot of, like, well-known horror films and it, it definitely shows. Yeah, his uh, his first foray into the genre is very impressive and I enjoy it a bunch. Yeah, this was a... No, I'm gonna, I might as well just jump into our uh, plugs. Um, oh, you yeah. can check us out now. Uh, we are now officially on Spotify, thanks to our... Uh, Pal Bo Ransdale, who runs the Legion Podcast Network. He we goes, are Legion. We Thanks, are Legion. Man. Yeah. But yep, he put all the Legion Podcast uh, episodes from our show and everybody else's shows up on Spotify, so go ahead and look up the podcast by the cemetery there. You can find us on the Legion Podcast Network on iTunes. Uh, we're on legionpodcast.com. Uh, we, that's where I post the episodes. Yep, we got a Facebook and a Twitter. Yep, I haven't used the Twitter in a while, but, like, Facebook is the main one. We should make Randy run an Instagram page. That'd be fun. Right? But yeah, like, it seems to have, our Facebook page seems to have become quite active lately, which is really cool. Yeah, we have a couple of pretty regular posters. Yeah, and I got I want to give a, a shout-out to you guys. Thanks very much for, you know, continuously sharing on our page. Yep, good um, But then uh, we have decided for our next episode, the theme is going to be... Films from our birth year. Yep. I get to do another movie. I hope this continues to be a trend. <laughs> but since I Conveniently I'm, enough, we were all born in different years. Yeah, yeah we're all we, born... We had, to, we had to check just to make sure. <laughs> yep, I'm... I was born in 1981, so I am choosing uh, Burial Ground, because I have not seen this, and it is on my list that I've been wanting to check out for a long time. So, Court, you're welcome. Finally checking it out. It's awesome. I can't wait to rewatch it. I was born in 1982, and I have never seen The Slayer, so I am choosing that one. It's recently been released on Arrow, and everybody's talking about what a great slasher it is, so I'm pretty stoked to watch it. 
Heck yeah. Uh, I was born in 1983, and I'm watching... Uh, the House of Long Shadows. Yeah, The House of Long Shadows <laughs> with uh, Vincent Price and Christopher Lee. Right? Yeah, Peter yeah. Cushing and oh, Dave, one of the Carradines. One of them. John... It's going to be good. I'm excited. Haven't seen it. We're all doing movies that we haven't seen. I haven't seen it since I was a kid, so I'm pretty pretty stoked to rewatch it. Yeah, and these are all new movies to me. I've never seen any of them, so I'm excited just to check these out. This is probably going to trigger like a Vincent Price thing for me. So that's okay. Well, nothing you, wrong with yeah. that at all. Yeah. That's, that's kind of one of your things. Yeah. We expect it. But uh, until next time, last one out closes the coffin door. See ya. Close the coffin door! Yeah.